Thank you. It is good to be back with you this uh, morning. And uh, again, I, I've seen various ones of you in various contexts, so it's kind of interesting uh, in the homeschool athletics arena and in the uh, classroom and uh, now in a church setting, so it's always fun to see people in different contexts. Uh, just to, again, introduce myself a little bit, I'm uh, Dr. Keith Cooley. I teach at uh, Faith uh, Baptist Bible College. I teach in the, the Bible and theology area, and I teach primarily the Bible survey classes, kind of like the core of what I teach, and then I teach other uh, Bible electives, and I also teach a uh, systematic theology class, which uh, uh, I do have one student here who's in that class, <laughs> and uh, that's always a fun class, a little more interactive. But as I have the opportunity to teach various Bible electives, uh, last year I had the opportunity to uh, teach through the early Pauline epistles, and that would include uh, Galatians and First and Second Thessalonians. And First and Second Thessalonians have a special place uh, in my heart because I did my uh, my dissertation on Second Thessalonians. But uh, Galatians is also a very important book, and. That's actually where we want to turn our attention here uh, this morning is to the book of Galatians. Uh, as we think about the gospel, as we were um, thinking about communion, uh, I wanted to preach something that kind of prepared our hearts for communion and to reflect upon the gospel. What is the gospel? And uh, in, in particular, the importance of the gospel. Some things are nice, but they're not critical. Other things are critical. So to live, we need air, we need water, we need food. You do uh, without those and you don't live very long, right? Um, and uh, there are other things that are nice, like coffee and ice cream. I like coffee, I like ice cream, but we can live without them. Yes, really, you can. <laughs> People have done it. <laughs> and you can live without those things. Those are nice, but they're not critical to life. I would suggest this morning that the gospel is critical. Uh, the gospel is critical to who we are as believers and that it is a non-negotiable, something that we can't compromise, something that we need to affirm. And uh, there are various theological debates, and again, I teach a systematic theology class, and we talk about some of those things, and that can be fun discussion, but there are some things that are more tangential than others. You can have different views on certain issues and still be a believer, but you have to understand the gospel in order to be a true believer in God's eyes. And really, I think Paul points our, our attention that direction as we turn to the book of Galatians. Uh, let's go ahead and actually... Um, uh, we'll pick up in verse 6, but then we'll actually refer back to uh, verses 1 through 5 in uh, just a moment. But picking up here in Galatians 1, verse 6, it says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel for heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed." As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches to you any other gospel to you uh, than, that which we, than that which you have received, let him be accursed. For do we now persuade, persuade men or God? Or do we seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that uh, the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
For you heard my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Let's pause for a moment of prayer, and then we'll get into our, our text here. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction here of the Apostle Paul and pray you help us to understand it and pray you help us understand the centrality of the gospel to our Christian faith. And if there's anyone here who does not understand the gospel, we pray that they might uh, uh, see their need to have Jesus Christ as their Savior this morning. And as we celebrate communion, we pray that you might help us to focus our hearts on what you've done for us and that gospel message that unites us as believers. In Jesus' name, amen. Now in the book of Galatians, in the book of Galatians, Paul is dealing with uh, a doctrinal issue. There were false teachers and there were uh, those that were teaching that in addition to uh, knowing about Christ, they also had to keep the law. And uh, we call this uh, uh, Judaism or some type of legalism is really what it is. It's blending faith and works and it's not a pure gospel. And Paul is uh, denouncing that teaching very soundly here in the book of Galatians. So again, I think it's very appropriate as we think about the importance of the gospel that we look into what uh, Paul is talking about here because that's what he is defending. He's defending the gospel of, uh, by grace through faith and that it's not by the works of the law. Chapter 2, verse 16 brings that out as he says, uh, repeats it in various ways, that we're not saved by the works of the law but saved by, by faith in Jesus Christ. So backing up to the, the beginning part of the letter here, uh, we have the introduction, Paul, an apostle, not of men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. In that we see the author, Paul, and it's interesting as he describes himself, he gives that uh, descriptive phrase that he's not called through, uh, through man, but through Jesus Christ, and that actually uh, kind of foreshadows what he talked about uh, with the reception of his message in the passage that we read and we'll be considering here in just a minute. So he's kind of alluding to that already. But Paul, of course, uh, was a, a servant of God that was used greatly to spread the gospel really throughout the northern Mediterranean world. And he spread the gospel to the region of Galatia. Galatia is a region. It's not just one church, but it's actually a collection of churches. There's a little bit of debate as to whether he's talking about the churches of northern or southern Galatia. I think that he's using the term of the churches of southern Galatia that he actually evangelized on the first missionary journey. And you can look into the book of Acts and see that uh, after they ministered uh, in, uh, on the island of Cyprus, Paul and his missionary team, which included at that time uh, Barnabas, went up to South Central Asia Minor, uh, preached the gospel in Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, and then uh, after being stoned, Paul retraced his steps and they went back to uh, Antioch of Syria, which is where they had been sent out from. And I think it's those churches that he is writing to, and as he's writing to them, there's a problem that he is addressing. After his departure, there were false teachers who had infiltrated the churches of Galatia, and they were teaching that in addition to the gospel that Paul preached, you also had to keep the Jewish law. Now, again, the early uh, church was uh, 
predominantly Jewish, uh, so we can kind of see how that influence would uh, be attractive, okay? And part of the reason, even as Paul alludes to later on, is to avoid some of the persecution, some of the uh, opposition that they would receive from, uh, from Jews and from others that would not listen to their message. So kind of putting themselves under uh, the uh, category of Jews kind of had some advantages because they would be a little bit more readily accepted and they wouldn't be uh, persecuted. But Paul says you can't do that, that the gospel that we preach is unique, it's distinct, and that it is uh, something that should not be watered down. As he continues on then, he says, uh, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, again, churches, not just one church, but it's a region. Verse three says, but grace be to you uh, and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And now we actually have a little bit of a summary of that gospel message that he preached and that then becomes the foundation for what he's trying to uh, tell the uh, Galatian believers to hold to here in this first chapter and really throughout the book of Galatians. He says uh, the, uh, in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father to whom uh, be glory forever and ever. And here we see that uh, Christ gave himself for our sins and that is critical to the gospel that we have a need we have a need to have our relationship with God restored that because of human sin and our own personal sin we have are separated from God and we have no fellowship with God but Christ in God's mercy and grace came and gave himself for our sins and that is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins and that he rose again and that we can have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul is defending here. And when he uses these various terms to talk about the message that he preached and things like that, he's talking about that message of the gospel, that Christ died for sinners. Uh, just a little bit of a side, there are a lot of churches that water that down and don't proclaim that message boldly. And I think that we are called to stand for that message and to proclaim it and to believe that message. So as we get back then to the, the setting here a little bit, um, Paul preached this message in Galatia. He returned to Antioch of, of Syria, and I think it's actually then that the Jerusalem, shortly after he writes the book of uh, Galatians, that the Jerusalem Council meets to address this very issue. Do Jews have to uh, keep the Jewish law and the, and the decision of the council was no, that they did not need to keep the Jewish law and that they were supposed to uh, adhere to some really pretty generic uh, universal um, code you know, to keep themselves from idolatry and immorality and things like that. But that's not, <laughs> that's not distinctively, um, uh, you know, um, Pauline, that's something that was uh, universally recognized as, uh, as sinful and wrong. So, uh, as Paul then addresses the issue here for Galatia, he writes this book encouraging them to maintain uh, truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel unadulterated with works. So I think that as we look into this passage here that God wants us to affirm the importance of the gospel. And that's kind of our, our main thought here is that God wants us to affirm the importance of the gospel. And I think there are three things in this passage that we'll, we'll look at. There's actually two main blocks of material that we'll 
look at. Uh, the first one is Paul's uh, appeal for them to um, stand firm to the gospel, and then there's also uh, a little bit of his own personal testimony and history as he moves into his first argument, uh, which is more of a historical argument that he had not received the gospel from other people, but it was something that was given to him by God. So as we think about um, Paul's appeal here to the Galatian believers, we see that the gospel is fundamental to our faith. And I guess I better catch up on the PowerPoint here. So, okay, so uh, <laughs> uh, the gospel is fundamental to our faith. Its centrality is what we're talking about here. Again, some things are negotiable and some things are non-negotiable. The gospel is a non-negotiable as we think about what God has done for us, that it is uh, critical to our faith and there are some things that, uh, again, we can talk about and discuss as believers and we can have good discussions about and uh, not ex always come to the same exact conclusion, but the gospel is non-negotiable. And to change, to alter, to distort, or even to neglect the gospel is contrary to the historic Christian faith and results in something other than biblical Christianity. Another class I get to teach is a contemporary Christianity class, and we do make that uh, point that historically the, the difference between um, the uh, modernist or the liberals of the early 1900s and the fundamentalists uh, revolved around the, the nature of the gospel. And they distorted the gospel. They, they uh, not only watered it down, but they denied key elements such as Jesus' deity and his substitutionary atonement. And such things are uh, contrary to Orthodox Christian theology. It's something different. And there's actually uh, a notable book by uh, J. Gresham Machen that makes that point that Liberalism is something other than historic Christianity. So Paul here is defending the gospel. And as we think about this, we see the, the reality of these distortions that unfortunately, even in Paul's day, there are those that were distorting the gospel. And Paul actually expresses surprise as he addresses this situation. Verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. So he's uh, surprised. He has wonder or amazement that they have already turned away from the gospel that he preached to them. He had preached it to them. They received it. Everything seemed to be going fine. He went back to uh, Antioch and then... This uh, false teaching comes on, this, on the scene and it had taken place very quickly as he points out that they were so soon uh, convinced by this false teaching. So it took place very quickly that this false teaching had infiltrated the church. So Paul has to deal with this issue because it is a very serious issue and it had uh, infiltrated the church very quickly. We see the, a little bit of the nature of this problem and he says in verse uh, 6 at the end of the verse, he calls it a different gospel. So it's not something that is just a, um, a different way of expressing what Paul had said, but it is a completely different message. He says that it is not compatible with the gospel that he had preached and he calls it a different gospel. It was not based upon the grace of Christ, but it was a distortion of the true gospel, and many of the believers there were apparently being uh, drawn into this teaching. Again, it's not that they had lost their salvation, but they were endorsing this, this false gospel, and Paul has to address it very 
sternly here. And in verse 7 he does uh, as he describes this gospel and then points out its incompatibility with the gospel that he had preached. It's not able to be reconciled with the message that Paul preached, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So he uses very strong language here. And the book of uh, Galatians is actually one of the boldest uh, letters that Paul uh, writes. Uh, we, you might say it's a, a polemic. It's, a, it's, a, it's an impassioned plea. I use that term in my classes sometimes. And people are like, what was that term? <laughs> a polemic is an impassioned plea because Paul is dealing with an issue that is very, very serious. And it's not compatible with the message that he had preached. It's a serious and urgent problem that has to be addressed here. It's not even similar. It is completely different. And it, it leads to a different uh, belief system than what Paul had uh, shared with them. In fact, Paul accuses these false teachers of perverting the gospel of Christ, and that's a pretty serious charge there. The term pervert has the idea of changing or alter. And again, Paul does not see this teaching of these Judaizers, we'll call them, uh, as they often are in the literature on Galatians. Uh, these Judaizers, the message they pr uh, proclaimed was not within the bounds of acceptable theology. It was completely different. It was out of bounds. It was not uh, compatible with the message that that uh, Paul preached. So as a result, then, he pronounces a curse upon those who distort the gospel in verses 8 and 9. Uh, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And this, again, is pretty strong language. And even though Paul doesn't completely know the source of this uh, false teaching, but he, he gives various options at the beginning of verse 8, he does affirm that it is not... Um, compatible with what he has taught to them. That even if an angel of heaven, now this is kind of a hypothetical situation, but he says even if a heavenly messenger comes and preaches something, don't believe it because it's not true. It's not what uh, God has you know, proclaimed uh, in the gospel. And he pronounces a curse, an anathema. Uh, the, the term anathema actually comes from the Greek term that's used here. And uh, it is a very stern condemnation of this false teaching. It merits a, a strong uh, con confrontation because of the, distort, the distortion of the gospel that was taking place. It's so strong that he even repeats himself. And sometimes we repeat ourselves because we forgot what we said. But here Paul is, is purposeful. He's repeating himself because it's very, very important. It's not something that can go unnoticed, but he repeats himself because this threat is so urgent. And he uses a little bit different language, but he basically repeats that same type of a curse in verse 9. But uh, as we said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. And again, it repeats much of the same uh, condemnation. But it's a little bit broader. It says, if anyone, which uh, again is a little bit broader than what he had uh, said in verse 8. And he demonstrates how serious the situation is that if someone uh, preaches this other gospel, they're actually distorting God's truth. And I would suggest that distorting the message of the gospel can lead people to a false hope uh, that they can have e uh, eternal consequences. If they're trusting the wrong thing, then they will uh, not stand in good favor before God, but they will be accountable for their sins. So I'd suggest that the gospel is central to what we 
proclaim here in our churches that the gospel is the core of what we believe, that Jesus Christ, again, died for our sins and that we can have eternal life. And to distort or to um, uh, change that message uh, changes the nature of the gospel. He alludes to some of the, the reasons uh, for this um, distortion of the gospel. Uh, in verse 10, verse 10 he says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please man? By still pleased man, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And, and here I think he is condemning some of the motives of these false teachers that in some way they're trying to, to please men. Okay, They're not trying to please God, they're trying to please men. And they are uh, unfortunately distorting the gospel to try to save face in the eyes of men. And Paul says you can't do that. Uh, he's not persuading men himself. He's not trying to uh, gain a following. Uh, in fact, he had, had abandoned those things. Uh, he had left his uh, status in Judaism as he'll talk about later on in his uh, personal testimony. He had abandoned some of those things because of the gospel. So he's not trying to please men. He's trying to uh, he's trying to please God. And the implication that his motive was to uh, please God rather than to persuade men. And again, I think Paul is getting uh, at some of the motives that he had in preaching the gospel. He's trying to proclaim God's message and uh, was not ashamed of it, uh, was not um, was not afraid to suffer the consequences of it, but there were others who were uh, succumbing to the pressure to avoid uh, opposition and were preaching to please men. Paul says you can't do that. So unfortunately, uh, the reality of the distortion of the gospel is present, even in Paul's day, and it's true in our day as well, that there are those who would water down or distort the gospel and that must be taken seriously. And Paul dealt with it very firmly here and says that's not the same thing. It's not what he had preached. It's not what God had revealed to him. And I think that he is affirming the centrality of the uh, gospel of, of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And again, I think that we need to affirm that in our churches, the centrality of the gospel message, that we have good news, and that's what the term gospel means, that we have good news that Jesus saves sinners. And that is the message that we proclaim, and it should be central to our uh, Christian lives. The gospel is also given by God, is our second point here. Uh, the gospel is given by God, and in this we consider it source, the source of the gospel. Uh, again, the gospel is given by God, and Paul's already alluded to this already, so we can work through this uh, quickly here. But it is a divinely sourced message. The gospel is a divinely sourced message. It's not something Paul cooked up and is starting to proclaim here and something like that, but it's something that he received from God, and we have him uh, giving us a little bit of information about how he received that message uh, in verses 11 and 12, we have that uh, brought out. Uh, verse 11 says, But I make known to you, brethren, that gospel which was preached, uh, that was preached by me is not according to men. So on the negative side, it's not produced by, by man. It's not something that has a merely human origin. There are lots of ideologies, lots of philosophies, lots of um, um, different worldviews out there, uh, but Paul is saying that his message was given to him not by men, and uh, there are 
uh, important teachers throughout uh, history, and they've had various influences. And Paul's saying he's not following the teaching of just a mere, uh, mere man. It says in verse 12, For I never re neither received it for man, nor was I taught it. So after Paul, well, actually backing up, when Paul was uh, uh, confronted on the road to Damascus, that was a divine encounter, okay? That wasn't uh, through any human instrumentation. Now, Paul's not being critical and uh, saying that he has a better experience because he didn't have a person share the gospel with him, but he's trying to establish the point that the message that he received wasn't something that was just for men. It was something that was given to him directly by God, so thereby we can trust it. You know, uh, all human beings uh, have uh, uh, limitations and faults and failures, but if it's a divine message given to him directly by God, it's certainly true, is, is kind of the argument here. So he did not receive his message from uh, people. It was given to him directly, and then I think he received his uh, seminary training, if you will, as he was in the, the, the desert regions of Arabia and Damascus, and uh, I think at that point God gave him more revelation and he didn't follow Jesus like the t other 12 disciples and didn't have that opportunity to follow the, um, the Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry, but I think God gave him this information in another way through uh, direct revelation. Following up then, uh, he gives that positive side, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, that's, I think, through his uh, salvation experience, but then also as he received teaching as he was in the wilderness, uh, as we have the um, record in Acts where he uh, withdrew, and uh, he talks about the, that here also in uh, uh, his personal testimony. in the first two chapters here of, of Galatians. So he didn't receive his message from men. It was not, oh, well, let me back up. It wasn't uh, produced by man. It wasn't received by man, but he received it by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So again, the gospel message is not merely a man-made philosophy, but we see its importance because it's a divine message. And when God speaks, should we listen? Yes. <laughs> yes, we should listen when God speaks, right? And this, this is not just a, a human uh, guess at what's right. It's divine uh, affirmation of what is right. And Paul is saying that he received his message directly from Christ. Therefore, it has authority. And the gospel is important because it's God's message for us. And uh, again, we have to be careful because there are many uh, man-made religions that would seek to draw people away from the truth. We have the, court, the cults that distort Jesus. We have works-based uh, salvation. We have liberalism that denies the very core tenets of the uh, gospel. And all these things are uh, human distortions of the gospel. So we need to guard the gospel because it is the divine message that we have been given. So the gospel is important because it is central to our, our Christian faith. It's foundational to our Christian faith. It is 
a divine message. Its source is from God. And then thirdly, the gospel is important because the gospel is able to transform. The gospel is able to transform. And in this, we see the effect of the gospel, the effect of the gospel. What does it produce in us? And in this, Paul gives some personal history. He basically recounts his testimony and uh, shows that his message was not derived uh, from the uh, leaders and apostles, um, but it was something that was... um, given to him uh, through Christ, and it transformed the nature of his life, where formerly he was uh, trying to advance in Judaism. Now, after he has um, received Christ, he has a new commission, and then he becomes a bold witness for Christ. And that's obviously a very radical transformation that that which he once persecuted and tried to do away with, he is now proclaiming that, that message that he's Thought to eradicate, now he is trying to promote. So as Paul gives a little bit about his testimony, uh, picking up in verse 13, he says, For you have heard my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it and advance in Judaism beyond my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So Paul, in his former life, was making a name for himself. He was uh, on the rise in Judaism, and he was um, a persecutor of the church. He, he, he makes no excuse for his former behavior, but he I, uh, identifies himself as a persecutor of the church. And again, he was trying to please God in his own way, and he thought that the way to do that was to be super zealous for Judaism including trying to uh, oppose and trying to eradicate these Christians. So in his pre-conversion Jewish life, he was trying to eradicate Christianity, and he was hostile to the church. In fact, as we pick up the narrative in Acts chapter 9, Paul is trying to um, bring believers, uh, those who are Christians, back to Jerusalem to basically have them stand trial. So he's trying to arrest them, bring them back, and that's actually where we pick up in Acts chapter 9 when God confronts him, that he was aggressively persecuting the church, not just those around uh, Jerusalem, but he is actually going to uh, Damascus, which is uh, a little ways away, and he is trying to bring those individuals back for trial as well, all in what he thought was trying to please God. But Of course, uh, that was not what God intended, and that's why God confronted him on the Damascus Road. By his own testimony, Paul persecuted the church beyond measure and sought to destroy it. And the idea of the beyond measure is probably to an extraordinary degree. And he is going through, he he is uh, using all of his energy. He is making every effort to oppose Christians, and his intent was to destroy or to um, annihilate the church. And I think that Paul sincerely believed that what he was doing would please God, but this was a misdirected zeal, and as God confronts him, he then realizes that, yes, he's doing things his own way, and his extreme uh, Judaism for, or extreme zeal for Judaism was actually not pleasing in God's eyes. Uh, We see a little bit more information about his former life in verse 14 where he's basically uh, a rising star in Judaism, that he is excelling above his contemporaries and he's, uh, again, 
making a name for himself. And he is like at the head of the class, if you will. And he's the one that's getting the recognition, all the, the press. And he is uh, moving up the ranks. And he's unmatched in his zeal. Uh, no one can compare to his desire to um, defend Judaism. However, he realized that after this confrontation with Jesus, that that was all misguided. Uh, he was trying to uphold the traditions of the fathers. Uh, this would be the rabbinic teaching. This isn't just the Old Testament. This is actually the rabbinic interpretations, which actually, as Jesus criticizes the Pharisees, uh, it is actually teaching that adds to the, the Old Testament and actually distorts the Old Testament. So we can see that uh, Paul is, uh, is misguided here in his... Um, in his sympathies at this point. He realized that his um, motives at that point were selfish and that he is trying to uh, please God on his own terms. He has a zeal, but again, it is a misguided zeal. So Paul's former life was one in which he was uh, making a name for himself, he was uh, persecuting the church, but God was merciful to him. And then we have that strong contrast in verse 15 where we, we now have the rest of the story where he was making a name for himself. He was persecuting believers, but God showed mercy to him in verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that might preach him to, among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and again to Damascus. So we have Paul's new commission. His former life was trying to make a name for himself through his own self-effort self in Judaism, but now he has a new commission. He's been chosen by God, and there's a transformation that takes place. This uh, transformation was initiated by God. It's uh, interesting how he attributes it to God's grace at the end of verse 15, that God called him through his grace. And we are all dependent upon the grace of God in our lives and that grace that provides salvation. It says here that Paul was selected uh, from before birth, and I think there is a sense in which God um, does... Uh, uh, you know, show his favor to uh, his people, that he is uh, uh, in, in his mind when Jesus died on the cross, that he knew that Paul was going to uh, believe. And then Paul receives that message. He's converted to Christ in verse 16, he re that God revealed his son in him, uh, and it changed his life. Again, one who was formerly a persecutor of believers is now a proclaimer of the message of the gospel. And he has that change of direction where uh, then God uses him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and that was part of the purpose why God called him, is to use him as an instrument. Uh, even in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, when Ananias uh, has some reservations about going and seeing this, uh, this Saul character who is persecuting believers, uh, God told him, go your way, for he's a chosen vessel to me to proclaim the, the gospel before kings and the Gentiles. And God was going to use Paul greatly. And Paul was obedient to this call. Paul was obedient to this call, and he did not confer with flesh and blood. That is, he didn't you know, try to debate it out and things like that. But he was obedient to the call, and he didn't go up to Jerusalem, again, showing that his gospel wasn't from uh, the apostles in Jerusalem or any of the teachers in Jerusalem, but he went into Arabia and Damascus, which would be more on the desert uh, side of the, the area of Syria, 
Uh, but anyhow, in this time, God revealed more truth to him, and I think that this is where Paul received much of the uh, training, if you will, that he then uh, proclaims as he preaches the gospel throughout the northern Mediterranean world. But we see here, again, a very strong change in Paul's life. There's a radical transformation that he who was once a persecutor of the church is now a preacher of the gospel. And the one who sought to destroy the church is now trying to build it. And God worked in his heart and there's a radical change in the life of the apostle Paul. So in this section we do see the complete transformation in the life of the apostle Paul. And he received the gospel in a unique way, and he was transformed by it, and it made a complete radical change in the direction of his life. And we likewise can be transformed by the gospel, that the gospel message is a transforming message, that it can transform our sympathies and our relationship with God and can give us hope, can give us direction in our lives. And as we think now, as we uh, kind of wrap things up about some implications then of the gospel, I have three implications here. Uh, as we think about the importance of the gospel, thinking about the Apostle Paul and his message, his experience here. First of all, I think that we need to believe the gospel. We need to believe the gospel. I think that that was what the Apostle Paul was urging uh, people to do as he is preaching the gospel uh, in the northern Mediterranean world. He wants people to receive this message, this message of hope that Jesus died for sinners and we can have a right relationship with God. Again, he alludes to that back in uh, verse 4 that uh, Jesus gave himself for our sins and that is the message that we proclaim. Uh, and we, we can't uh, state enough how foundational that that is. And we need to believe the gospel message. It is that important. It is a, a message that has eternal consequences. And I trust that you do know that hope, that hope that you have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if you don't, I would seek out one of the leaders here at the church, talk to myself, and we'll show you from Scripture how you can know that you have eternal life. That is the message that Paul proclaimed and the message that uh, the churches like this proclaim. And we need to believe that message, that we have a sin problem, that we have a Savior who is Jesus Christ, and that we can have salvation through his name. Do you believe that message? I think that is critical as we think about the importance of the gospel is to believe that message. We also need to defend it. We need to defend the gospel message. And here in this particular context, Paul is defending the gospel against false teachers, those who would seek to distort it, uh, particularly as he's, you know, again, criticized some of their motives where uh, they weren't preaching the the gospel out of pure motives, but they were seeking to avoid persecution, so they wanted to blend it with Judaism. Um, and again, there are many distortions that are present. There are works-based uh, religions. There's misfocused or redefined gospels, and we need to stand for the gospel and not uh, allow these distortions to creep into our theology, into our teaching in our churches. Unfortunately, defenders of the faith are 
diminishing. We live in a day and age of tolerance, but we need to boldly proclaim the truth that Jesus saves sinners. We need to be like Paul. And uh, again, this is not just to be uh, bombastic or abrasive, mean-spirited or anything like that, but we need to stand for the truth of God's word, that we can have salvation through Jesus Christ. Uh, We need to explain the gospel carefully and clearly and stand for it. And then we need to proclaim it. We need to believe it. We need to defend the gospel, and we need to proclaim it. We need to proclaim it corporately in our our churches. And I'm afraid uh, a lot of times we assume a lot in our churches, and sometimes we think that, oh, that's so basic, we don't need to uh, proclaim it. But I would suggest that we need to keep the gospel before our eyes. We need to talk about the gospel and to proclaim it publicly. And that's actually one of the reasons why we observe the Lord's tables, to proclaim the Lord's death, okay? And that is one way that we proclaim the gospel. And also individually, we need to take those opportunities that God gives to us to share the gospel and to proclaim the good news that Jesus saves sinners. So we need to believe the gospel, we need to defend the gospel, and we need to proclaim the gospel. Challenges to the gospel uh, abound, but we must affirm the centrality of the gospel. And despite those uh, challenges that the gospel faces, we need to affirm that it is foundational to our faith. It's central. It is uh, a message that can transform lives, and it's a message that we need to hold to without uh, watering it down or allowing it to be distorted. So I trust that we will be encouraged to proclaim the gospel, to believe it, uh, to defend it, and to then proclaim it in our churches and in our individual lives. And again, as we think about communion, that is what we're doing. We're proclaiming the Lord's death and the good news that Jesus saves sinners. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the uh, challenge that uh, uh, the Apostle Paul has here for the Galatians that they... uh, Stand true for your word. We pray you'll help us to do uh, that as well. And as we think about our own context, we pray that you'll help us to uh, be transformed by the gospel. Pray that it might touch our hearts and lives. And that if there's anyone here who doesn't understand the gospel, that they might seek out uh, counsel on how to understand that Jesus provides eternal life. Uh, We pray that you'll help us to uh, stand boldly for your word, not to allow it to be... um, distorted or watered down in in our our theology and our our teaching of our churches, but that we might stand for it and that we might then share it with those who need to hear this good news and that we might not just keep it to ourselves, but that we might proclaim it to those who have that, um, the need of the gospel. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for what he's done for us. And as we celebrate communion, we pray that you will help us to reflect on these things and how the gospel has impacted, impacted our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.